When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Oh, it's going fine. You know, I'm very excited for our first postseason show. It should be a, what do you call it over there? Cracker. I don't mind the off-season at all, because this is a chance for us to do content on our own terms. We're not dictated by the race, and we're not dictated by a news beat. This is our chance to explore and talk about F1 for three months or so. In fact, it's not even that long, is it, this time around? No, no, it, it, it's going to be shorter than usual because the season was a bit longer than usual. I approve. All these people saying, we can't make the season any longer. Those people are not your friends. We need year-round F1, if possible, Matt. Yeah, oh, sure. Every weekend of mine could just be totally given over to this for virtually no money whatsoever. We'll work on that, Matt. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by Autosports' Chris Stevens, who's really admirably attending the Miss Apex livestream instead of the Autosport Awards. Yeah, I definitely uh, was invited and chose this over the Autosport <laughs> your time will come your time will come he's a, a rising talent in journalism uh, especially Thanks. auto journalism and we're also joined by the mild-mannered accountant nick numbers alexander making his missed apex debut how's it going nick very very well and uh i also turned down something very important and exclusive to be here so you're welcome and for the people only listening on audio nick looks like a ferrari threw up on him uh, you are of course <laughs> gonna be, you're going to be making the case for ferrari season uh, on tonight's show might as well dress the part okay so we are doing our 2018 season review this week we're going to focus in on ferrari 
Toro Rosso, however that's spelt, and for Stroll. All right, Matt, we decided to break down the season review into three episodes. So three teams, three teams, four teams. Uh, Tell us how it's going to go down tonight. All right. Well, essentially, the goal of your review, should you choose to accept it, is to make the best case you can for where you think your team should have finished, completely disrespecting the fact that actual points were awarded during the season and possibly uh, disregarding reality itself. I see. So each of our panelists, including you, is going to come armed with information and a case for a particular team. Yes, and a particular ranking. It doesn't necessarily have to be a good ranking or a bad ranking, but just your honest opinion of where they should have finished. In other words, uh, a qualitative measure of their season, not a quantitative one. Okay, and I believe we're going to start with Ferrari, defended by Nick Numbers Alexander. Hey, Ferrari, not too bad a season for them. Second and third, that actually has to count as historically a good season for Ferrari. I think it does have to count as a good season, second and third place for any team in in any season. I mean, it could only really get marginally better than that. Obviously, you want to get first and you want to win the World Drivers' Championship, but barring that, as good as it gets. Right. So basically, what we like to know is about the teammate battle about how they did compared to your expectations. Did they meet your expectations or were you bitterly disappointed by their performance? How you think, and then finally, the ultimate, how you think they did compared to the other teams and where you would rank them on our magnificent board of awesomeness. Okay, so that's a lot to unpack. And I think Spanners is going to give me about 45 seconds to talk at most. Hey, no, this is the beauty of the off-season. Relax, the stage is yours. So... If we want to start with the teammate battle, I did look up the numbers. We all know without looking at the numbers that Vettel won the teammate ba- teammate battle handily. Uh, it's just a matter of of how much. I entirely disagree. I think Raikkonen won. I think he's just being difficult. I know we're we're talking qualitative, qualitatively and quantitatively today's qual today's. Today's uh, qualitative day. So let me let me spit out the quantitative real fast, and then and then you can tell me why why it doesn't matter and why I really Raikkonen won. So um, five poles, five wins for Vettel, one and one for Raikkonen. Vettel outqualified Raikkonen seventeen times to four. Uh, seventeen times outqualifying your teammate was good enough for second best. Leclerc also had that many. Alonso, of course, uh, outqualified Van Dorn all twenty one times. And he outqualified him by an average of uh, 0.256 seconds, which was uh, the biggest gap besides um, Leclerc and and Alonso. And of course, he beat him in the championship by uh, 70 points. Well, that's hard numbers to argue with, Trumpets. Uh, But I do have one thing on my side, which is the fact that Raikkonen actually won a race. And I dare anyone to tell me at the start of the season they thought that would happen. Number one. And number two, I do have some statistics to back me up. And if you compare Vettel's average starting position, which was 2.86 on the grid, to his average finishing, which was 3.15, versus Raikkonen, who started on average 3.76 and finished 3.24, I think we can clearly make the case that Raikkonen did better in races than Vettel. I think uh, Matt makes a great point, though, Nick, which is, is this is this based on our expectations or even what was possible 
before the start of the season because I was certainly one that said Kimi Raikkonen is never going to win another race and the race he won was on was on merit he did well he did better than Sebastian Vettel um and also is there not a clear kind of number twos battle in that in that top two teams if you like and as uh, Othnell in the chat room points out Kimi Raikkonen finished closer to his teammate than any other number two or second place driver in the other three teams. So isn't there a difference of, of what was possible? Ferrari were never going to hand the keys to the world title chase to Kimi Raikkonen. Okay. So there's, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. So there's kind of an argument that yes, Vettel had more points and finished ahead in the championship, but that's only because he qualified better. So I don't know that I buy the kind of the starting grid discount, uh, but there's the argument of the, being the number two driver and being limited with the strategy that he was allowed to to have uh, preference for. And, and I think there's some merit there. When you compare the finishing position statistics, though, the issue with Vettel is that he had so many races where he clattered into the side of people. Um, and when he's not doing that, he is better than Kimi Raikkonen. And I know that kind of sounds a little contradictory because you know that Sebastian Vettel would have uh, beaten Raikkonen on those days most likely. Uh, Monza may have been the exception because he got out-qualified there. But I I can't sit here and say Kimi Raikkonen did a, a, a better job of driving the car this season than than, than Vettel. But, but part of being a Formula 1 driver is not clattering into people, certainly not too often. You can't argue that Kimi Raikkonen didn't do a better job there. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen, he is a, a solid, sensible racer, uh, whereas this season, Vettel has kind of lost his head a few times. Kimi didn't. Yeah, but that, how would Kimi have reacted if he were in the, the same scenarios? Was he even getting his elbows out enough to put himself in a position where he would clatter with another car. Right. So this is the off season and I'm allowed to have whatever opinions I want. So I just make the argument that Vettel didn't clatter into everybody, anybody. And it was always the other driver's fault, no matter what. Although in at least one instance um, <laughs> with Max in China, it was definitely Max's fault. I, I can't, yeah, for but, the sake but of, I, I can't remember which side I was on. So I'm not going to weigh in. I have to roll the tape back. I think, I think you were probably on the same side as me because you probably took the opportunity to bash Max for being immature. Oh. If I'm just if I'm just guessing, I, because I, that was really yeah. I, in fact, I I scale these things by how much abuse I get on YouTube in the comments, which are glorious, by the way. Uh, and I must say that for next season, it was never Robert Kubica's fault in any circumstance. Uh, okay, YouTube commenters, leave me alone. But yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, I think we did say that that one was uh, was Max's fault. Yeah, so I don't think every collision was his fault. And then they, there, I don't know what we decided on this, but there was some, some kind of speculation that his car did seem to spin in situations when there was a little bit of front wheel to front wheel contact that wasn't in line with my expectations of how physics works, which leads me to believe that there may be something going on with the car there. But well, Chris, what no, do you reckon? Yeah. The steering wheel to seat interface? No, it was, I think Bradley uh, came in and, and explained this one at one point, isn't it? Where when the car is fully loaded, if you could take your hand and just push the front of the car, it would have the exact same reaction. So it's nothing really unusual in seeing a car spin that way after uh, wheel face to wheel face contact. Okay, but if we can defend Kimi a little bit, because as a Ferrari fan, I'm assuming you don't hate Kimi Raikkonen, Nick, but um, Kimi Raikkonen obviously wouldn't have had the development path and set up as the number two driver 
would it not have been interesting to see how it would have played out? Kimi Raikkonen maybe in a bit more form, but also in a car that was that suits him. We know that Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen famously like their car in a particular way. Kimi Raikkonen likes it very pointy, is a word I've heard. Right. It would have been interesting to see. And what I'm really excited about, obviously, as a Ferrari fan, perennially, is next year. <laughs> and I'm excited... I'm excited to see Charles Leclerc come in and see. I don't know what his car setup preferences are in comparison to Vettel. I don't know if they're going to like the same kind of car or not. But I think there's probably the possibility that he could, at some point, even next season, get that number one spot. I think they probably ride whoever's hot. Do, do you think so? So you've been following, obviously, the politics of Ferrari. And as far as, I mean, Joe Sayward tells us on Inside F1 with Joe Sayward, which by the way, we will be recording on Tuesday evening. So uh, definitely stick around to listen to Uncle Joe telling us about the 2018 season as well. Uh, but do you believe in those internal politics that there is a chance that Sebastian Vettel would not be considered the number one driver? That within 2018, uh, sorry, 2019, they would follow a development path and go, oh, hang on a minute. Leclerc is actually beating Vettel here with Vettel's setup. Let's start developing towards the young Monegasque. Yes, I said it. Monegasque. First time. Broke the seal. I believe it's pronounced Monegasque. <laughs> Don't, let's not do this. A big arg- <laughs> oh, the emails about pronunciation, guys. Uh, I get it. I get it. I, I'm trying my best. That's a lie. I'm not. Uh, but I'm probably too old to change now. Sorry, Nick, carry on. I think they just care about the driver titles so much. I don't know that they really care who it is, which driver it is. I I do think maybe they might be a little slow, maybe a little bit reluctant to switch. Maybe midseason, since they're not the best at the late season development, might not happen. But maybe they switch in their philosophy for next year's car mentally at some point this year. Remind me, the start of this, the question you asked. Who are you talking to, Matt? Uh, I'm talking to you because you asked Nick a question to kick it off, and I was in the chat room when you did that. So I missed part of what you said. Oh, no. I was asking you to just roll. The, see, this motion was let's roll it on to the next things that Nick has to do, seeing as this is your format. All right, it's good, yeah, it's no good though, well, because it's good to have extra edits to do. It's good. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, I, I know you like having the extra work. So we'll all put it in one place so everybody <laughs> talk at the same time. And then, the, <laughs> any any casual <laughs> racism, get it out now because this is the edit point. Yes, please. <laughs> all right. So. You were arguing that Vettel won the Team 8 battle. I, I believe what we like to know now from you, Nick, is compared to your expectation, how did Ferrari perform? Did they meet it, exceed it, or are you tasting the bitter tears of disappointment in the offseason? Well, I think it's a little column A, a little column B. So I think they met expectations, and I do think I'm tasting the bitter tears of disappointment, but that's what I was expecting. So I think... They put in a great fight in the first half of the season. The lead in the driver's title went back and forth. It was very entertaining. We didn't know what was going to happen. And then in the end, Hamilton ran away with it. But it was good for a while. And then we're leaving with hope that maybe it's better next year, which is really the Ferrari tradition. I find Ferrari's position a little odd because I expected them to put up a fight for longer. Um, Now, that was... In in essence, a lot down to Sebastian because he kept running into people and should have held the driver's title lead for much, much longer than he did. But also Ferrari did start going in the wrong direction on uh, development. They were putting upgrades on the car that was actually making the car slower, which they didn't realize for 
a handful of races and then they they took them off and we came back to the usual super duper close ferrari mercedes battle that we got used to earlier in the season so uh, you know you can't control what your drivers end up doing but if you can you keep progressing the car along so that if they do make a mistake it's not as costly the onus is on the team to be you know to be providing that well it's not their fault i mean Obviously, if we just allowed unlimited testing and they could just print as many new parts as they want and do as many laps around their own circuits as they want to collect better data, then those upgrades would have worked better and they would have won. Why don't we just let Ferrari spend as much money as they want? I don't understand. That seems perfectly reasonable. Uh, Trumpets, I was half listening to a tech time a little while ago where if my memory serving me correctly, uh, let me get into uh, Ferrari do big development jumps, so it's all or nothing. Is that what the problem was during the season? Because certainly Spa, Monza, they looked like they'd kind of got the jump on uh, on Mercedes to the point that people were saying, wow, this is Ferrari's to lose. And if they were correct, then they, they did lose it. Well, it was Ferrari's to lose. Um, and their upgrade that came on at Singapore, which is, I think, what Stevens was refer- referencing, was the one that really let them down in terms of there was a correlation issue with their wind tunnel, which we've seen more and more of with teams. Uh, interestingly, because of the outwash generated makes getting the data right in the moderately narrow wind tunnels more challenging for the teams because you have more boundary layers and stuff like that to deal with. It's complicated, and I won't even pretend I understand it, but I remember enough of the words to sound smart. I'm not even listening now. Yeah, see, it, you just imagine. You, you're just lucky that I'm going easy on you in this show. Um, but really, it was a race up until Singapore. But let's not forget those brand-new rear wheels that Mercedes brought and ran until they thought Ferrari might protest and then didn't run and were terrible until they had won everything, and then they ran because they figured they had nothing to lose. Those also made a very, very big difference. And as much as you can argue that the Singapore development killed Ferrari's chances, you could also say that Ferrari gained when Mercedes was grappling with its bigger updates uh, starting in Spa and trying to get everything on track. Uh, Yeah, I will 100% agree that, yeah, Ferrari dropping the ball on their development you know, was was part of that. But I would also say that Mercedes outdeveloped Ferrari as a team. Awesome. So I believe that all that's left for this Ferrari segment is for Nick to grade Ferrari on what you are calling the Matt Trumpets or Mist Apex board of awesomeness. What are we calling it? It is our magnificent board of awesomeness. I see. Excellent. All right, then. Uh, so where, Nick, would you put Ferrari on the magnificent board of awesomeness. I'm going to call it the board of my team is the best because reasons. For, oh, reasons. Why didn't you say? That was my understanding of the topic of the show. So, Nick, as a fellow American, I can always tell you that you don't need to state reasons. You can always just go with your gut. This is always acceptable, too. All right. With your gut, I, where are they going? Right. Yes, I know there's evidence for things, but I don't feel okay. Anyways, I don't want to get too political, but I feel that Ferrari were the number one most awesome team this year for Formula One because imagine the season without Ferrari. And I think it would have been the most worse off as opposed to removing any other team from the equation. I think they brought the fight to Mercedes. And if they hadn't done that, they would have just really ran away with it. 
But if we didn't have Mercedes, they could have fought with Red Bull and Williams, McLaren, Sauber. Who cares? I am going to agree with Nick because Mercedes got the jump on everybody in 2014. And for whatever reason, they had a massive advantage. They've been this engineering juggernaut with a thousand people. and They have been the indestructible force of Formula One. Somebody had to step up to, the ch- to challenge them, and Ferrari didn't have an engine to match uh, Mercedes at the start of the hybrid era. They've Think of the gap that they've bridged to get up to Mercedes and challenge them. Have Renault managed to do that? Have Renault brought what was their works team, Red Bull, up to challenge? No, they haven't. Have Honda and McLaren and all these other title contenders uh, of the past managed to do it? No. Ferrari have stepped out of the pack and taken the fight to Mercedes. And as Nick points out, has given us what I think is quite possibly the best season of F1 in recent history, in recent decades. I I think we're about to make missed Apex history because (laughs) I also agree with Nick, which is just bonkers. I will add in there as well that uh, they broke F1 lap speed records in Monza and you know, so we're seeing the fastest Formula One cars ever, and Ferrari were the ones to take that top spot of ultimate speed at Monza, which I also think is incredibly awesome. Right. So front row lockout at Monza, awesome. Kimi getting his first pole with the longest stretch between poles, I believe, awesome. Getting his first win in however many years in Austin, awesome. Winning back-to-back races to start the season and say that we have a fight on our hands, awesome. Ferrari was awesome this year for most Reikinen, of it. Raikkonen around the outside of Hamilton at Monza. Crowd go wild. Awesome. Okay, we can use other words, guys. So, trumpets. Uh, I take it, does he get his way or does that have to then face off against Mercedes when they appear in an episode? Well, the way it's intended to work is, of course, uh, depending upon future uncovered evidence, we may or may not change who we think is first. After all, we've heard from no other teams at this point. That's a good point. But I, but I have to say, I am amazed at the lack of pushback on Ferrari being the number one team. Go on then. Uh, well, I would happily make the case that none of the top teams were the actual number teams, but that it was the midfield that really provided the most drama, intrigue, and excitement. And therefore, the best we could say Ferrari was would be, I don't know, maybe third or fourth, because there's going to be a couple of midfielders that might ought to maybe be up there, too. My, my thought, if I was going to pick a team that was outside the top three, was going to be Haas really think that they punched above their weight, had two great drivers, kept two great drivers, um, or at least two, shall we say, legitimate non-pay drivers. Wait a minute. He's just going for the other Ferrari team. We're not falling for that. And Haas is on on a different show. And then maybe you're right, because I also was going to give Sauber a nice honorable mention. (laughs) Yeah, all right. Okay. Yeah, you've got it. If not for the livery alone. We've crossed the Rubicon with Ferrari fanboyness, uh, and we didn't slate Ferrari or Kimi too much. So I'm sure we'll get lots of lovely emails from the people who normally abuse me over such things. Hey, Trumpets, are we going on to another team? Uh, we certainly could. Would you like to do Force India or Toro Rosso next? Well, let's go with Force India or Force Racing Stroll, Force Point Stroll, the pink car, the pink car map. And when we talk about this team, Let's talk about 
their whole combined entry. I really don't want to get bogged down in thinking, oh, we've got to split the their points up or think about their post-administration points or pre-administration points. Let's just talk about how the team did on track as a cumulative amount of races. I think that's the most useful way to talk about how this entry has done this year. Right. So immediately to go along with that, I will happily tell you that as Force India Sahara, they finished uh, with 59 points. And uh, when they were reborn as Racing Point Force India and stuff, they finished with 52 points. Um, So they had uh, combined however many points. I said 111, but suddenly I'm doubting my math. No, no, that's right. 111. And they would have finished fifth overall in the world championship had they been able to keep all of their points. However, rules being rules, they were not allowed. Fortunately, we don't have to care about rules. But before I get to their place on the magnificent board of awesomeness, perhaps we should discuss the teammate battle, where I'm expecting very little arguments at all with the fact that basically Ocon mopped the floor with Perez. So uh, from a qualifying point of view, we could start there with some actual numbers in honor of Nick being on the show. Uh, Ocon won 16 to 5 qualifying. His average qualifying pace was 0.115 seconds faster than Perez. In um, race finishes, his average position was 9.24 to Perez's 9.84. And race starts, his average race start was 10.19 to 11.19. And he even beat Perez in DNFs with six compared to two. Uh, Matt was just cracking me up. I was just- Today's episode is called, Fortunately, We Don't Have to Care About Rules. <laughs> but I couldn't get in there because he talked endlessly. Classic Matt. All right. In that case, it's up to me to defend uh, Sergio Perez. Okay. First of all, uh, Matt, I'll do what you do and put me on the spot and ask a question. Who got the most polls in 2015? Who got the most polls Yeah, who in won the poll trophy in 2015? Nico Rosberg. Nico Rosberg. Did he win the world championship? No, he didn't. There's really no point throwing a, a stat like that out, like 16-5. And which, by the way, when you've got two people in a two-point swing, that's a difference of eight. So four results would have, strung, would have swung that. Uh, my maths is all over the place there. So of 11, isn't it? But Nico Rosberg beat Hamilton in polls, yet... Racecraft is the thing that actually ends up winning you drivers' titles, Chris. First of all, uh, it was 2014. Nico won the uh, <laughs> won the pole trophy. You only won year out. That's fine. Now the um, the thing about the Perez and Ocon thing is that we we look at Perez. He got one very very strong result, the podium in Baku. Absolutely brilliant. Yep, fair enough. But throughout the remainder of the season. 90% of the time, it was Ocon ahead of Perez. And actually, had Ocon still been in that race, uh, if he hadn't had his uh, collision with Raikkonen at the very start, who's to say Ocon wouldn't have got that podium? Yes. And this follows on the point that I would very much like to make, which is if we look at their average finishing position, which should theoretically reflect their racecraft, indeed, we find that Ocon finishes on average about a place or so higher than Perez. So you're actually making the argument there, Spanners, that supports my person. Uh, All I was doing was removing the qualifying score as a way to say that definitively Esteban Ocon is somehow better than Sergio Perez. Uh, Also, let's look at the Force India situation as something that wasn't a straight fight because they couldn't avoid tripping over each other. There was many occasions both ways 
where the drivers were told to hold station. So in that way, the driver battle has been somewhat stunted and muted, Matt. Well, uh, that's an interesting point, and I would actually have to go back into the utter weeds to decide. But I will also make the very simple point that the driver ahead when that order comes is the driver that is, well, ahead. And perhaps that is significant in and of itself. Perez has full on admitted now that Ocon isn't in the team anymore that he and Esteban didn't really get on all that well and no. they had a quite a tough relationship. I am oh. shocked. Probably from all those on-track collisions that they had. Really? Do you think it was from the times that they ruined each other's races and wiped each other out? I mean, probably, I, like, as far as working relationships go, I can see that as being, like, a, a flash point. You know, I don't know how well you get on with the people where you work uh, and how many, like, championship points you've thrown away for something. But imagine, like, the equivalent. That would... That would turn a relationship sour so quickly. Me and Matt crash into each other all the time in audio and video terms. We've been doing this for about six years now, Matt. Success will come one day, won't it? Put us on the telly. Come on, someone. Put me Apex on the telly. Uh, Nick, what do you make of this driver battle? People are being too harsh on Perez, aren't they? He clearly, he's had his wings clipped the last two seasons and he's been up against a very tough competitor if people are ranting and raving about how good Esteban Ocon is surely the guy who statistically is a smidge behind him must also be an excellent excellent driver no I think Sergio Perez is very good I was just laughing at Matt because he was saying that oh the the thing's supposed to be that the driver in front is supposed to get the leeway and it's like well if that was true then Ocon wouldn't have crashed into Verstappen in Brazil now now would he have (laughs) But I would have to say that the the inability to avoid on-track drama and posturing between teammates is very much a, a management problem at Force India and very much makes that team less awesome on the board of awesomeness. Um, it's interesting when you look at Ocon. I've always praised his ability to know when to pick his fights. Um, but he got it wrong twice uh, this year uh, against Raikkonen in Baku and against Verstappen in brazil otherwise he's been very very good um there's there's the the caveat isn't that not the caveat there's sort of an idea that you know ocon should replace bottas at mercedes uh because he's so much better um but then i feel like if you put him in the same team as lewis hamilton is he going to end up looking just as bad as bottas does you know i'm sure maybe we'll find that out in the future yeah how amazing would it be if ocon gets a seat at mercedes and he drives into hamilton as often as he drives into Paris and I'm not biased at all. And I wouldn't enjoy that for the game that it would give to my team at all. But, um, but yeah, Botas is rubbish and Ocon's the next coming and uh, let's put him in there and, and let him loose. I'm sensing some sarcasm perhaps in that viewpoint, but I think you have an incredibly valid point about Ocon, which is we don't know what that would do to Hamilton. And I think if we're talking about current experiments, I think Gasly with Verstappen has the potential to be thoroughly dramatic next season. And obviously Leclerc, did I say that right? And Vettel, for all of you pedants at home, uh, also have a great deal of potential for drama. And, And the thing with Ocon is he might be able to wring more points out of the car. But if he's going to upset the team balance, then then that might be something that is indeed weighing on Mercedes' mind. 
So, so I take back what I said just a moment ago about the inability to put a leash on the drivers, bringing them down on the board of awesomeness. I, I reverse my position. I think it makes them more awesome because he said the word drama and it makes me remember that I love drama. I love watching F1 as kind of a soap opera. Didn't have much of a problem really with Max pushing Ocon uh, off the scales at, at Brazil. It, I love the personal conflict and I, I love watching it unfold. And I would love to see Ocon in that seat in, or back in a seat going wheel to wheel with, with somebody and, and pushing the edge a little bit. All right, Matt. So uh, are we going to get an opinion from Chris here and then we're going to do our magnificence board of awesomeness? Yes. In regards to kind of the expectations and we haven't really sort of touched on it, Force India didn't really do more than I expected. We kind of just expect them to be the best of um, the rest. I didn't expect them to beat Renault in the constructor standings. So where they honorably end up fifth is is about right, you know. So they've they've met the expectation, but I think it's just going to get harder and harder for them to exceed that now. Quibbling here a little bit, but is Renault not part of the rest? Yeah, but it's a manufacturer. Whereas Force India is, is not. You would expect a team like Renault, especially this far down their development line, to beat Force India. So some some teams are the rest and some teams are more the rest than others. Got it. Actually, that's going to be an interesting point, I think, Trumpets, when we do get to Renault as where they actually land. Because I don't think they do count as a full works team at the moment. And I can't wait to have that argument. But that's for another day. What we're doing right now, Trumpets is finding out where you are going to put Racing Point for Stroll on the magnificent board of awesomeness. Yes, I know. And I, I will start with my expectations. And Stevens made my point quite adequately. They pretty much met my expectations. Relative to other teams, uh, I actually am downgrading them because they would have beaten Haas. And that's bad because I'm a fan of Haas. So they lose points for that. But mostly they lose points because they got rid of their best driver, Ocon, and have brought in Stroll, which definitely knocks them down the board a bit, despite their amazing recovery from total financial disaster. So I'm going to argue that they should be third. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They would have been third without that. As it is, I'm going with fourth on the magnificent board of awesomeness. Yeah, but Nick, you know, that's only after Stroll passed the assessment that he had to do at the Abu Dhabi test. And I'm sure the team put him through the ringer before announcing him as the driver at Force Stroll. Yeah, I'm sure he was thoroughly vetted from a performance objective time standpoint. So I just want to take this opportunity to make everything about Ferrari again, if not just for this one glorious day where you've specifically anointed me as the Ferrari representative. So I, I wanted to say that Getting Raikkonen into Sauber in promoting Charles Leclerc to Ferrari, although it affects next season, it was a decision that was made this season, which I think is a really great move, which everyone, I mean, everyone, I think, is really excited to see Leclerc next year in the Ferrari seat. I think that makes them more awesome this year because that, that, uh, that contract got signed this year. I'm a little lost, Trumpets, as to how that relates to Force India. You might have to set me because back straight. Force- because Force India did the opposite and they ah. downgraded. They got rid of Ocon. They brought in Perret or they brought in um, Stroll for the money. And I think that making that decision now makes them less awesome this year. It does. And uh, I mean, Trumpets, in Force India now, we are seeing something unprecedented. So 
we're used to people buying race seats. But when is the last time somebody came in and bought a team for a driver? And I don't think we should be any under any pretense that it's anything other than that. This is the Stroll family buying a team for their son to race in. And especially a team that is not at the back of the grid. It's not struggling to get into the 107% rule. This is a fourth place, fifth place team in Formula One. This is a top team in Formula One. It is. I don't recall anyone ever coming in and buying a team solely so their progeny would have uh, a race seat that was better than where they currently were. I'm open to being corrected by those who are more historically minded. Um, But the thing with that is, on the one hand, yes, they will have more money to spend. And I think if you look at your points per race, uh, post-spa, you will see that, indeed, they scored more points per race and the benefits of having more money started to show up. But with the driver lineup they're running next year, you have to wonder how much that will affect them. And with the current controversy that is unresolved about their um, column one payments from FOM also unresolved, they may also be looking at about a, what was it about $30 million there, Stevens, about a $30 million hole unexpected in their budget that Papa Stroll is going to either have to come up with a sponsor or cover out of his own pocket, or they will suffer the downgraded performance as a result. And and that's true. And I think we will get into the weeds on what's going on in that payment because it's strange because it all seemed to be agreed at the time. And it was almost a case of, all right, we'll agree this between us unless anyone kicks up a fuss and then we'll examine it again. But regardless, I'll defend slightly you guys saying, yes, it's a a negative thing. It's the opposite of Ferrari and Leclerc, um, them bringing uh, a lesser driver in for Ocon, in all our opinions. I think that's that's an opinion we probably all share, that Stroll isn't as good as Ocon, so that's a downgrade. However, you have to take a moment to say, from a Stroll point of view, from a Stroll family point of view, what an achievement to put yourself in the position. And I believe Papa Stroll is a self-made man and is a businessman. And he's put himself in a position where he can buy his kid a race seat in a car that they own and call all the shots. Uh, from that point of view, Matt, we're uh, from a father's point of view, you know, hats off to them. Hats off to that family. What, what an achievement. Yeah. And more to the point, what a bargain they got too. Um, I mean, granted, they might lose out on the column one money, but as I as I understood the deal at the time, and maybe the show with Joe is a better place to explore it. I mean, he essentially guaranteed the money, but I think he's got investors covering the vast majority. So he's picked up one of the best midfield teams for a song, and he's not really ultimately in the long run going to be that out of pocket for it. And, you know, what a present for his son. I heard that he's not out of pocket from all the money he poured into the Williams deal. So clearly, uh, this man is a good businessman. And to upgrade them up the magnificent board of awesomeness, although they might have taken a downgrade in, um, in, in driver, I think they've made an upgrade in team owner management and investment. Because I think Lance Stroll is incredibly we- uh, wealthy. Sorry, the Stroll family is incredibly wealthy, more so than we probably think. He also seems to have a talent for creating wealth and bringing investors in. And I think Force India have massively upgraded by having Papa Stroll in charge. So that puts them higher up the board of awesomeness. It might have hurt them this season in the actual real legit championship points. But overall, that organisation has benefited. They've always been a team with quality engineers and a quality outfit that now will have the force behind them to, instead of being the best pound for pound team, maybe even be the best team. 
So all those kind words about Mr. Lawrence Stroll. That's his dad's name, right? Yeah, Papa Stroll. It's Lawrence, yeah. That, yeah, I know where, I know so where nice, you're going. That actually, that's, actually, that's actually worse for Lance. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be one level of insulting to be like, oh, they just want your dad's money. It's somehow more insulting that they want your dad's money and also your dad. Yeah. His opinions and his decision-making skills. Wow. Uh, of course, he wasn't the only um, investor, but he was sort of leading the consortium, wasn't yeah. he, um, Lawrence? But there are, I think, six or seven other investors um, that are, um, I'm, I'm going to say, under him, uh, because if he was the, the lead uh, investor, then I think that's a fair comment. Yeah, so I think he's calling all the shots trumpets. And here's my prediction. Okay, you can tell me if I'm bonkers. I think that that setup is going to be good enough so that, yeah, maybe he'll lose out to Perez next year as he kind of uh, learns his trade up the, the sharp end of the field. But I think Perez will be encouraged to move on at the end of the year. And I think that they will install, as they have done in previous formulas, compliant drivers. And Lance Stroll will be a number one driver in a, I'm going to say, in 2020, in a top three or four team. And he'll be the number one driver all the development, all the team orders on his side. I don't think you're bonkers if he can put in the performances relative to Perez. But if Papa Stroll is such a good businessman, there will be an arbitrage between the amount of points his son is costing him in that seat and what he needs another driver to be able to do to compensate for that. So yes, if, 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 if with all of the help and the car designed around him, if Lance can put in reasonably Perez-like performances, then you will see a driver around that level brought in. And, you know, as we discussed on the show with Carter, given the short end of the strategy stick on a regular basis to ensure that Lance gets the best of everything. So, But if he can't, that's when we'll have the drama. Yeah, I don't think next season is critical. I think they've accepted he's going to be behind Perez. And then Perez will be quietly shown the door at the end of 2019. Nick? Yeah, everybody knows it takes five, six years for your kid to learn the ropes in F1. Well, Got to give him time. He's still very young. And don't underestimate the, the training side of things. I, I, I would I, imagine, I you know, didn't they have Anthony Davison in that 2014 Williams giving him like one-to-one tuition? And that's probably got him from not very close to a little bit closer. Uh, who's to say with more training, he couldn't at least match Perez or get close enough that it's not that embarrassing when they shove him out the door. Yeah. He, he not only buys him seats and teams, but lest we forget that he also bought him a formula one car. Yeah. Formula one car. Yeah. Privates. And Anthony Davison. Come on, dad, buy me Anthony Davison. If nothing else, seems like he'd be a, a great lad to have a pint with. And he's got that big screen that he can describe everything on as well, which is useful. Not so much in a pub, but you know, generally trumpets. Yeah. I, I don't know how much more into the weeds you want to get on this before we move on to Tara Rosso, but I will say this Perez is overriding genius. And if there's anything he's better at, uh, than Ocon is in dealing with these tires, making them run long and being very kind to them. And my general impression of Stroll is if there's any place he struggles more in this formula is with that exact same thing. If he cannot learn to look after his tires, if he cannot be consistent enough with his braking and his steering inputs to look after his tires, he will not be able to do this job at that level. And that's, that's what I'm going to be looking for next year to see if he makes any progress on that. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. All right, should we hand the reins over to Chris Stevens to talk about Toro Rosso? How's that? Let's do that. Uh, Toro Rosso, Chris, it is your turn to give us the rundown of a team and put them on the board of awesome magnificence. Thank you. Toro Rosso, the team that finished ninth in the Constructors' Championship this season. And honestly, I had to double take when I checked the stats earlier. Because I wanted to get their position. I thought, hang on a minute. They only beat Williams in the championship this year. They scored a total of 33 points, which was 29 points to Gasly. He finished 15th in the driver's standings. Brendan Hartley was 19th out of 20 in the driver's standings on just uh, four points. Uh, so you'll be amazed to hear that Gasly won the teammate baton in qualifying 12 to 5. The average gap was around a tenth and a half. To be very specific, it was... 0.161 seconds which wasn't very big it wasn't very small it was one of the more average uh qualifying gaps uh of the season um so how did how did i expect them to go i didn't judge either driver at the end of last season for obvious reasons you know they got a very limited time uh in the car that was also falling to pieces engine wise at the time as well so it would have been very very unfair but i did expect brendan to have the upper hand for various reasons. Really? He he was the much more experienced driver compared to Gasly. He is a world champion in another series. And also, Gasly wasn't a very highly rated... He wasn't, uh, you know, a superstar when he entered F1. He won the GP2 title in 2016. He was in a great car, but he almost lost that title to rookie Antonio Giovinazzi, his teammate. Um, But, in 18 months, he's gone from, will he ever ha- ever have an F1 drive, to being a Red Bull senior team Formula One driver. So he's turned it around fantastically. 
Yeah, my problem with any teammate battle involving these two is number one, I just like Hartley better. So I think he should win regardless. <laughs> but more importantly, um, I really feel like uh, based on comments he made and especially um, the incident where Gasly refused to let him buy despite being asked to by the team. I think he's really wound up on the short end of the strategy stick. I'm not saying he would necessarily beat Gasly, but I would absolutely be on board with saying that we did not get anything that resembled a reasonable teammate battle this time out. I think he was hobbled from the get-go, and and that played a large part in why the numbers look like they do. Okay, so I agree with you to an extent. Um, here, here are the facts, um, because I would say that Gasly was still the better of the two drivers. If you look at the best results, so the highlights of his season was the P4 in Bahrain, P7 in Monaco, P6 in Hungary. Hartley, yeah, I thought he'd have a better go at it. And a lot of the time, he did look worse than he was. But he did have too many weekends where there were small errors in qualifying that put him further back in the grid than he should have been. And so often in races, he would have good pace, but he couldn't show it because of incidents. He got a few silly penalties at the beginning of the season as well and kind of struggled to adapt to to F1. Um, But he did categorically get the the worst end of engine updates and strategy calls and didn't he have something like seven dnfs i've just asked the chat room and sarah's popped up with seven is that correct i mean that's a that's over a third of the season where you're not finishing and i don't remember him clattering into walls too often no he he got very unlucky in a lot of instances so monza is the one that springs to mind where he got 50 meters off the line before he was pinched and and was out and you know he did have um a lot of other bad luck like um the uh the suspension failure in practice at silverstone um that basically kept him out of qualifying and the the crash in, in spain in practice as well that kept him out of qualifying um there so i think he's had a lot of bad luck but he has to take some onus on himself for his own mistakes because he hasn't been as good as gasly this season but and that is a plain fact See, Nick, do you think that Brendan Hartley, having been a superb driver in other categories, has simply just, for whatever reason, not quite had the driving style or the speed to adapt to a very competitive Formula One grid? I mean, there's no, there's no shame in that at all, is there? But is that, is that what we've seen? So, yeah, so he drove in the endurance championship and it's, you know, a closed cockpit car. Now he's driving single seater open wheel. It is different. It's a shame that he doesn't have more time to try to adapt and learn and develop than he does. It just it's it's people like Hartley and and maybe Hartley isn't the best example, but, you know, he gets he gets two seasons to try to develop and keep his seat. But how many is Stroll going to get? Doesn't seem fair infinite he he seems to have a lot more potential um whether or not it translates from other series he seems to have more upside than than somebody like a lance stroll but he's out yeah and if you look at his best days you you can see that he does he, he could be a competent driver i don't know if he'd be magnificent i don't know if he'd be amazing but i think what that really speaks to more than anything is how much difference a single seater experience and relevant and recent single seater experience makes compared to sports cars or any other discipline. This is a very highly specialized niche for a driver. And if you're not in that group for a long time and you just walk into it, 
even the very best of the best from any other discipline has a pretty steep learning curve. Like yeah. I said, I think there's been a perception issue here as well, because on the face of it, Hartley's had a terrible, terrible season. Um, whereas actually, it, it, you know, all things running smooth, he's been very close to Gasly, but he has got to iron out some creases. Well, it could it just be that his route into F1 is not ideal because if you become an artisan of a different trade which world endurance championship cars essentially are a completely different trade and I'm sure a different skill set although you know compared to being a spanner monkey they look pretty similar Uh, but Gasly had just shot straight through that single seater system and for him it was a natural continuation whereas Hartley had started on that path gone off learned a different trade come back but he's he's learned and developed as a different type of driver exactly all the time that brendan was spending winning championships in sports cars gasly spent three years in gp2 did uh, super formula for a year and then broke into to f1 um so that is a, yeah, a much more relevant experience and brendan has got you know some great speed you stick him back in work and he's fantastic you know it's just a, a completely different discipline and you know i'm never going to overlook a chance to bring up tires, but I will say that dealing with the tires in WEC is an entirely different animal to dealing with the tires in Formula One. And I brought it up with regards to Stroll, and I'm going to bring it up again with regards to Hartley. Gasly has had experience managing those Pirelli tires. Hartley, absolutely not. Forgive sorry, me, Chris, forgive my ignorance. You tell me, is um, WEC, is that front wheel drive, those LMP1 cars? They're, uh, they're, no, they're, they're right, rear-wheel okay. drive. Okay. Um, yeah, some, some of the hybrid ones, you could technically call them four-wheel drive because they're harvesting from the front wheels as well. Excellent. Look, we talked about Hartley, and he says that that F1 journey hasn't completed yet. So whether he's got something up his sleeve, we won't know. But Gasly has come in, and he has looked the better of the two drivers. Chris, how do you rate his season and rate his chances going forward? Because he has earned his spot in Red Bull and I know people say it's a poison chalice going to that Toro Rosso seat and certainly a lot of Toro Rosso drivers have fallen by the wayside but also one third of drivers who've won multiple races since 2009 I did these stats earlier all by myself by the way are people who came through the Toro Rosso junior program a a big percentage of successful F1 drivers in modern F1 came through that program it's a good place to be it's a competitive place to be and pierre gasly is reaping the benefits of this now uh, a lot of the things i've seen from pierre this season tells me he'll do just fine against uh verstappen at, at red bull um there, there, there's some interesting little caveats though to some of the uh results so the big highlight was obviously the the p4 finish in bahrain having qualified p6 um the irony of it is, is that his, the engine blow up that he had the race before in Australia ended up leading to that epic P4 finish because after that that failure, they just went ahead and gave him uh, a brand new modified MGUH, which has been the problem area for Honda, and a new turbocharger as well, updated and modified turbocharger, plus a floor update as well which all came together to create this magnificent result. I think they're also benefiting from, at that point, Force India and McLaren not quite having their full-spec 2019 car ready as well. So there are some 
little niggles to it as well. But then also on the other side, I'd say they could have scored more points in other ways. Like Azerbaijan, for example, had he not been smacked into the wall by, by Magnussen, um, he would have scored at Silverstone if he hadn't got a penalty when he passed Perez because he made contact with him. Um, whoever made the call to go to full wets in Germany when only one corner was slightly damp. That was classic. <laughs> the best part of the yeah. season. I'm going to assume that he got that from Phil Allen in the chat room. Just want to give a little bit of, of credit to to him there for pointing that out. I forgot about that. Uh, but oh, yeah. Phil, oh, I've just seen that. Yeah. Phil is saying um, zero out of 10 for the whole season just for that one moment. That is harsh, <laughs> but I see that. <laughs> um, more, there's more. In Austria, he got clattered by Van Dorn on the first lap and had bent suspension for the whole race and only just lost a points paying position with three laps to go. And in Abu Dhabi, he would have scored points had his engine not given up. So he has done very, very well and has had a lot more opportunities to score points um, than than he's actually scored. And I think when you caveat that into as well, it, it does it leans into you know Gasly being uh, well performing a lot better than Hart they did this season. And I think Pierre will do just fine next year at Red Bull. I think Gasly's got the right attitude to go head to head with Verstappen. He is ruthless, I think, underneath that sort of smiley young face. I think, Matt, that he's going to go into Red Bull, kicking the doors down, demanding equal treatment, demanding the shot at the title, as it were. I don't think he's going to sit there and go, oh, no, I'm just going to learn from Max for a year. Not a chance of it. I think we might have some more uh, Perez, Ocon-style teammate battles next season. And I don't think it's going to be the same kind of jovial relationship that Danny Rick and Max Verstappen had. I think this is going to be all-out war at Red Bull Honda. Oh, I think it is too. I, I, I think he's headed in there with the full idea that he's the number one driver and that Verstappen will just have to get out of his way when he's faster. Now, whether Red Bull or Verstappen have that idea in their head, I wouldn't be so sure. And that's where all the lovely, exciting drama is going to come from. Yeah, exactly. You know that Max isn't going to like that. You don't know what the team thinks about it. But if you think about it from from Pierre's perspective, I mean, what else is he going to do? That's the only way, that's the only attitude that you can have going into that team. Otherwise, you're just going to get walked all over. So if you're going to have any chance of equal or, you know, dare I say, good treatment, then you're going to have to behave like that. And I just, I can't wait for the fireworks. I can't wait for the drama between those two. And I hope that Pierre's a, a good match. So Chris Stevens came to us with Toro Rosso this week as part of our 2018 season review, which we are going to continue over the next two shows. But this week we've had Ferrari, which Nick has put number one on the magnificent board of awesomeness, and it went down okay. Yeah, with everyone agreeing, much to my surprise. And then we had <laughs> Matt because Trump- I'm right. And then we had Matt Trumpets coming in with Force India. And where did you put them on your board of awesomeness, Matt? Fourth. And uh, yeah, and I, and, uh, I thought that perhaps they'd actually exceeded that by upgrading their management and financial structure. Chris Stevens, you've come to us with Toro Rosso. You stated that you were surprised that they were only ninth. Where would you put them on our Missed Apex really well-named board? Well done, Matt, by the way, for that indecipherable title. But anyway, uh, we live and learn. Where are you going to put them, Chris? So they're ninth in the standings. I'd say they had the eighth best car. They had a better car than McLaren. Let's certainly put it that way. They just had Fernando Alonso at the helm of it, which massively, massively helps. Um, but given that they have largely just been a test bed for Honda and a trial run for Red Bull in 2019. It's a good point. 
and we we have now while we have seen good development from Honda in terms of the, the power improvements, traction's really really uh, great. I would argue that this has been the least awesome team on the grid in 2018, and I got to say. I started. I started this off with quite a high ranker. I, I I had them at seventh originally, and then as we got we started the show, that oh, actually they weren't really that awesome, were they? You know, I, I, actually, no, they didn't. No, not even not even ninth. And, and I think because they were they were just a test bed this season. The car hasn't been amazing. The P four finish is really the only extraordinary thing that's happened for them. But also because they've lost Pierre and they're throwing away Brendan. And bringing back Danny Kvia and also um, Alex Albon. And I don't think it's any secret that those guys are not their first choice, as has been made abundantly clear by the 27 drivers who have all been linked to Brendan Hartley's seat this season. Nick Numbers Alexander, can you believe your ears? Chris Stevens is saying that Toro Rosso this year was worse than Williams on our board. So, yeah, I was going to say, so if I put Ferrari number one and somebody wants to dispute that, then the obvious counter argument is, no, they can't be number one because these other teams were number one. Same, too, for putting someone last. All I have to do is prove that other teams were worse and then Chris is wrong, as is want to happen. And as but the chat room ha- is saying as well, everyone's written Williams. Yeah, there's Williams, <laughs> no. but even even I won't take Williams. I won't take the low-hanging fruit. Let's say McLaren who don't even know why they were slow and don't even know why they were fast. Okay. In terms of championship position, yes, 100% agree with you. McLaren and Williams have done appalling jobs, but Williams brought back Robert Kubica to Formula One. That is insanely awesome and is worthy of not being last full stop. And also for McLaren, just having... Fernando Alonso doing their jobs is immediately more awesome than anything Toro Rosso Honda has done this season. If you would have said Fernando Alonso's radio messages, I may have given that a little bit of credence. But I would say that Toro Rosso bringing back Honda and being a test bed, the hype for that, putting them in a top three car, I think that outweighs Kubica and dear Poland, please don't send me messages. That's not awesome. Right. So, uh, first of all, I think the chat room uh, apparently immediately wants in on this with uh, Ben Lop. Uh, sorry, where did it go? With Richard M001 UKA saying a Robin Reliant is better than Williams, which, ouch, but true. And I would have to agree. I don't think we could put McLaren at the bottom much as I'd like to based solely on the power of Alonzo's radio message and social media, if nothing else. I'm going to defend Chris. I'm on Chris's side. Toro Rosso is the worst team on the grid this season. And my argument for that will be, look what Haas did when they didn't know what was going wrong with their car. Some people with red shirts on took them off, wandered down the road, and suddenly the Haas car was kind of good. And then they all went back and and put red shirts back on again. Toro Rosso have had a long-standing relationship with Red Bull. And yeah, okay, fair enough. They can't just swap parts. But do they not go to the pub together? Do they not email? Do they not do they not have a Slack group or anything? How can they be that closely associated with Red Bull and not have anywhere like the same aero dominance that Red Bull have? Now I'll tell you what, this season as well, they actually have had closer ties with Red Bull in terms of sharing parts than they have done in recent years. 
So I actually would have expected them to move a bit further up on the grid. But I would like to kind of like just reinstate this is the board of awesomeness. You know, I think McLaren and Williams have done more awesome things this year than, than Toro Rosso. It's not really a reflection of their their on track, you know, abilities and capabilities, because, of course, Toro Rosso, you know, outperformed McLaren and Williams this season. But in terms of, you know, our our magnificent board. I, I, I just there's the yep. the P four Bahrain is the only thing that comes to mind, Trumpets. and it was because the it was because the engine blew up the previous race. John Pitts, he's right. You did say that it was just down to how we feel, and Fax took second place. Oh, oh well, absolutely, it's totally down to how we feel, and it's down to how we argue. But I don't know again that I would put Toro Rosso last because they were from the beginning of the season, and we knew this. They were, well, I can't use the adult word for it, but they were uh, forced to perform in a very tightly confined space because of the late switch of engine supplier in terms of their design. So their car was always going to be a dog. And the fact that they managed to get even, yeah, yeah, how many people crashed out at Bahrain plus the engine thing? Yeah, I know. But still, they had some good individual results with a car that was virtually undrivable. And to my mind, they had better results than Williams, who had an equally undrivable car and a whole possibly lots of extra money to uh, to do stuff with. Sparkle. I don't think the car was undrivable. I don't, I don't think the car was undrivable. I think the car was really, really good. It performed very well in high downforce circuits such as Monaco and, and Hungary. I would definitely call it a, a good car and something that definitely deserved to finish higher than ninth, you know, next to last in the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, that, your argument doesn't make any sense. Matt saying that the car was compromised from a design perspective from the beginning, and you're saying, no, no, it was good. So no, I, I would agree. <laughs> I will agree compromise, but to describe it as a dog of a car or, or like even being able to compare it to the Williams, I disagree with that. So you're saying it was compromise, but despite that, it was a good car. So they were the worst team. No, I, they're not the worst team on the grid. They're just the least awesome one. Right. I think he makes a good case, Matt. Thank you. Uh, it, 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 I, like I get, I get the point. I would still argue for them to be ninth. And of course, as we know, all these positions ultimately come down to you, Spanners, as judge, jury, executioner, and or devil's advocate. Oh, I forgot. So, I forgot you guys were giving me the final word. Okay, then. So, hang on a minute. We'll we'll have to wrap it up there then. Uh, Ferrari, I'm going to I'm going to provisionally give them first place. Is that how it works? Because we can change our mind, can't we? When other ones come along. Of course, we're allowed to change our mind. This is this is this is missed apex. We always change our mind. That's the thing. I've already changed my mind about Ferrari being number one, like halfway through the show. No, actually, I think this team was number one. So I may well come back and say, actually, this other team was the least awesome. Okay, so we'll see what we got there. So provisionally, I'm agreeing with Nick. We're putting Ferrari number one on the board. Uh, I am going to agree with Matt with Force India number four on the board, which. At the moment, you would think might put them ahead of Renault, etc., and put them best of the rest. But we'll see how that pans out in future shows. And going to disagree with Chris, though. He made he made a strong case, but I don't think we can put them tenth because we are definitely going to find uh, another team or two to fill that last position. So provisionally, we're going to put Toro Rosso in the the ninth place slot as a compromise. Uh, let's move on to the podium. All right, how does the podium work, Matt? Normally, after the races, 
we give out a series of awards. Uh, Missed Apex, Thing of the Weekend, Pony Award. Is that what we're doing now? Yes, we are going to do that. But first, we have some extra special end-of-season awards. And the way in my mind, which is admittedly a somewhat cluttered and disused place, this was going to work, was that these awards we're giving out today, only people from Ferrari, Toro Rosso, and Force India are eligible to receive these awards. And then once we do all of our shows, we'll pick uh, final season enders for them all. Because frankly, like how, how bothered can we really be to create all this content when we have things to do with our families? How dare you? Missed Apex is a, a massive priority. It's even during the off-season, and that's why when other podcasts have abandoned you and expect you still to be there, come testing time, Missed Apex Podcast is keeping you company. And you can show our sport, even if you don't want to listen, by staying subscribed. That still really helps. What harm can it do to keep downloading our episodes? Uh, you can also support us during the off-season as well by going to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Okay, so if I ask you, Matt, what is your thing of these three teams for the 2018 season? Ooh, um, if we're going to start with the traditional awards first, my thing for the whole season of 2018 amongst these three teams would absolutely positively have to be without any qualifications whatsoever. And I, sus- I expect this to be the winner overall. My thing has to be Raikkonen winning a race because, oh my goodness, that was the best thing ever for anyone who's over the age of, say, 34. And for all the people who've kept faith with Kimi Raikkonen and been his fan for all these years as well, a a real reward in what is realistically his last chance of a race win, isn't it? Uh, Let's go to Nick Numbers, Alexander. What's your thing of 2018 for these three teams? It's quite clumsy. We need something snappier. Kimi on pole in Monza with Vettel alongside him. How much hype going into that race with with an all-Ferrari front row walkout and Kimi on pole? I mean, it was like, okay, Ferrari lockout, cool, but which driver was first and which one was second? <laughs> oh, okay. That was great. And oh, I can't believe this. Out of these three, my thing of this period for those three teams is also Kimi Raikkonen. But my reason was going to be that he has managed to maneuver himself into a point where he is probably going to be the number one driver uh, in an F1 team that is decent that he's going to have control over to a certain extent as well. So he's going to be number one driver. He's going to financially benefit from it. He's probably in the place in the grid where he's going to be comfortable and have a chance to look good and drive with dignity as well, not just being Vettel's number two and constantly being told to move over. So looking forward to seeing Kimi Raikkonen in a competitive role. Chris Stevens, going to have to ask you to pick someone other than Kimi Raikkonen as your, your thing from these three teams. Oh, darn, I wanted to keep the... The, the, the Kimi love, what's going on? Um, I'll, I'll go with Force India as a whole. You know, they're just super solid. They keep delivering the, the strong results amid, you know, what was a very, very difficult time off track. Uh, to be able to come out the other side of it and, and still be a, a really, really strong team um, by the end of it as well. That's pretty cool. Well, okay, well, now we go on to the, the bad thing. We're fairly balanced here, aren't we, Trumpets? We try to praise as much as we criticise. So who missed the apex from these three teams? Well, with one hand I give, with the other I take away. And I'm going to have to go with, and this is really 
I, I know you think I never give it any thought and that all these words are just to buy me time so I can come up with something that seems like a reasonable answer. I th- that makes me think that th- that is what you're doing. No, I would never do such a thing. No, my thing that missed the apex has to be Ferrari Singapore update because up until then we had a championship and after then we basically did not. And so for me, that takes precedence over all the other possibilities that are out there and i'm going to give my missed apex award just to put nick in a great mood before i ask him his it does really have to be sebastian vettel doesn't it four-time world champion not a rookie you can't really argue with the fact that in the critical crunch situations in nearly every wheel-to-wheel situation he had and in hockenheim in the way in front of his home fans nick in front of his home fans uh did blow the best chance of a, a title he's likely to have uh, so that's the missed apex award for me for those three teams nick i'm sure you've got no argument for that whatsoever who missed the apex for you so i, I remember sebastian crashing out of the lead in hockenheim quite vividly in front of his and home I was on, fans i was on the race review that day and you really twisted the knife and <laughs> I thought you had taken that knife out, cleaned it off, and put it away, but it's back out, and it's getting twisted some more. I'm sorry. I didn't know that we were going for a general season thing rather than, like, one specific really bad moment no, in the it season. No, it can be. Okay. I, you could have just said Sebastian Vettel, Hockenheim. I could have done, drop, but I didn't. Done. No. All right. I'm going to go for one particular event, and I'm going to bring us back to China when there was a miscommunication between the two Toro Rosso drivers and they crashed into each other in oh, the hairpin. Yes. Oh my gosh. Of course. That was incredible. And and probably equal blame as well. Mm, I, I can't remember the specifics. No, I think it was Gasly yeah. to blame because he was supposed to move out of the way of Hartley and he <laughs> slammed the door, but it was a while ago. But it was it was the other way around. So Brendan was supposed to let him through the hairpin and he sort of went deep and then just came back across. Okay. I'm going to have to go and rewatch have to that believe now. You. Yeah. Stevens, who missed the apex for you? Oh, it's better at Hockenheim. There's, n- there's no question. Fair enough. We're running long on time. And I think you're getting a flavor for the fact that we are not going to let up our enthusiasm for podcasting about F1 during the off season. Trumpets, I'm going to give you a moment to think about what one award you want to do before we go. And I'm going to give you that time by going to Nick to say a thing. I was just going to say thank you to Neuropean in the chat who says the thing of the season was my dog in the background on the live stream sleeping all the time exciting news for nick's dog fan trumpets what is the one award you would pick out of your your list there for us to tackle this week well in my usual tradition i've had the thought perhaps we should do these post show put them out as a separate thing and announce them on the next show who won That is a great idea. Well, in that case, all that's left is to plug our social media. You can catch up with me at SpannersReady on Twitter. You can follow the show at MissedApexF1. You can follow Nick at MediocreAccountant.com. Is that right? Or where are you? Underscore.com. Just just underscore.com. Where can people find you on Twitter, Nick? I'm on Twitter at Nick Alexander F1, and you can also find me behind the scenes sometimes at Mist Apex F1 on Twitter and on our Instagram. Follow us on Apex yeah, F1. follow us on Instagram. That is the thing apparently that I can no longer log into along with the Twitter account. So I'm gently losing control of this project. Chris Stevens, uh, you've been doing stuff with Autosport and Formula Spy. Where can people catch up with you? 
so you can find me on Twitter at cstevens underscore journo. And I've actually launched a new home for all of my work. If you go to ejournoonline.com, you can find all of my formerly articles, all of my podcast appearances, and hopefully some extra stuff that I previously haven't had a home for that I can now do in my spare time. Trumpets. Yes, you can find me at MattPT55 on the Twitters. You can, of course, follow my amazing wife at A Weaver Writes on Twitter as well and go buy all of her books for presents for your various holidays. Please do this thing. We certainly benefit from it here at the Trumpets household. And yeah, that's about it. And look for my race reviews, which will be non-existent, on summers.co.uk. Is that right? Summersf1.co.uk. Summer, when and if we get around to having races again. Are you guys going to do any tech specials over the off-season? We will. Um, his schedule is a little bit complicated at the moment. But when there's some when some time is cleared, we're going to do some little tidbits for you. Absolutely. Brilliant. And just to tell you what's coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks, on the 11th, that's a Tuesday night at about 8 p.m. UK time, we are going to do round two of the Missed Apex iRacing. And you can race with us. It was loads and loads of fun last time. Chris laid on some great commentary. Hopefully he'll get come on and do that again. And we might have a celebrity guest commentator as well joining us for that. Uh, and it was, it was brilliant fun racing with all of you guys. Basically, we had the commentators up as well, but you could also listen to everybody. So when there was an incident, you could hear people like crying out in anguish and you could see Brad Philpot take me out twice, at least one of which was definitely on purpose. Uh, he's a lot better than everybody else. So hopefully we'll get some stiff competition for him as well. On Tuesday, this Tuesday, uh, which is the fourth, we're going to have Joe Sayward joining us for some inside F1. He's fresh back off the plane from Abu Dhabi. And then next Sunday, we're going to do this again, but with three more teams. Guys, thanks for keeping with us over the off-season. And remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. See you next time on Missed Apex Podcast. It sort of feels like we're busier over this upcoming period now the season's finished than we have been over November. Yeah, well, because so much of racing and news generates content for us. That's it. It's more about framing a narrative. Exactly. And we're not able to just do what we want to do, which, of course, we can now. We didn't even get to the news section. So we do need to try and get Chris back on next Sunday, where we'll catch up on a lot of the news that has come out since the season ended. You know what else we didn't get to? Oh, comment comment of the week. All right. Tell you what. Let's do that. Let's do that. Comment of the week. It's like a disease. Why can't I? Oh, do you know what? Never mind. Right. Well, we'll start with Racer Hammond. Missed Apex Award for Red Bull for every time they say to a camera that they treat their drivers equally. Ooh, cutting. Uh, I mentioned it on the show, but Richard M001UK, a Robin Reliant, is better than Williams. Oh, so harsh. European. You may be a little bit. There's actually a Robin Reliant that lives in my neighborhood, believe it or not. I believe that. Uh, New European, I predict some camembert hidden in some Dutch driver's car radiator. Excellent. Uh, Also uh, from New European, engineering physical fact of F1 advanced mechanics. When a driver has bad luck, dump him. Ray Thompson is in with Botas, has promised to drive his car in 2019, quote, as if it were stolen, based on Florida newscast. That could end badly. No comment. 
Richard M001 UK, surely the chat room's primary goal is to cause edit points. Yeah, that's that's bad. Stop distracting Matt. He is old and he can only concentrate on one thing at a time. Uh, Paul Van de, der Par is sad that it can't all be Ericsson's fault next season. It's bad. All right, come on, Matt. Let's get a winner. All right. The winner uh, is going to have to be Ray Thompson, though, which is gather round all and listen to the heartwarming story of Little Lance and the gift of the Magi. What a Christmas gift for Little Lance. That wins Comment of the Week. See you later, guys. Comment of the Week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.